Hello and welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. I'm Evan Ball. On today's episode, we welcome Nick Hexum and Tim Mahoney of 311. Nick Hexum and Tim Mahoney grew up playing in bands together in Omaha. They soon forged the 311 sound, and today, over three decades later, they're still going strong. We talk about the 90s music landscape and what it was like for them when their music broke through to the mainstream. Then we go back further, talk about their pre-311 bands, the formation of 311, and their decision to move to LA. We talk about songwriting, specifically their willingness to put parts together that are fairly different from each other, and relatedly, their unique ability to book shows with punk bands, jam bands, metal bands, rap artists, etc. We talk about their influences, tips for recording distortion guitar, what they've been doing during the pandemic, what they'll be up to soon, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Mahoney and Nick Hexum. Nick Hexum and Tim Mahoney, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. I actually had so much fun preparing for this interview because it totally brought me back to such great years of my life. I remember so clearly you guys break through in the mid 90s and, and just the buzz in the air. I felt so close to it at the time. And music is just so good at, at bringing back memories and remembering what certain eras felt like. So yeah, looking forward to this. I love to hear that it um, evokes nostalgia and um, but I'm checking out your name. Are you, are you Ernie Ball family? Yeah. So Ernie was my grandpa. Ah, that's so cool. Yeah. It helped, uh, getting tickets to your shows. It <laughs> <laughs> has many perks, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, maybe we can start there. Like in the, like 1995, 96, if you guys don't mind. Sure. You guys have at that time, such a solid underground success. Music is out. Grassroots is out. Even the Blue Album is out for a period of time before it really blows up. But when you do really break through, it felt like it happened pretty fast, to me at least. But I'd love to know what this period was like for you guys and, and how you reflect back on it. You know, time is all relative because it seems like we packed so many memories into those first years that when I wrote the song down, change a lot and then some know that we've always been down. It was like, I'm looking back at this big era, but it mm. was actually just like a couple years. So, you know, we packed a lot. I, I mean, considering that in grassroots, we put all our stuff in storage and just lived on the road. And when we'd have a week off, we'd stay at some uh, crappy Oakwood, you know, apartment building or something like that. But we just lived on the road. It, it's debatable, but we know we did at least 15 shows in a row without a day off. And we were just so excited to, to be there and had so much energy. We were just felt fairly invincible. You know, I know you guys are so active. So I'm wondering to you, did it feel gradual or does it feel like a big ramping up once? I mean, I guess it was maybe the down video that really pushed you forward. Was there something in there where you felt like, oh man, this is insane. Like it's, it's happening. I mean, it, it probably... The da that down was the last release, right? We we put it as the first single and then moved on and then came back to it at the end. Is that right, Nick? I think Don't Stay Home was first, then All Mixed Up, then Down was our third single, and then we went back and released All Mixed Up a fourth time. I'm, I'm not sure on the first two, but Down was our third because we were like, oh, well, let's just throw one more chance. I mean, our label was like, oh, well, the first two didn't work. Let's go ahead and do Down. And I had always thought that was the catchiest song on there. That's why we opened the, 
the album with it, but it felt like why we said grassroots on our second album was because we just went to a city and played for, you know, 12 people and the bartender. And then the next time we came through, it was packed, but we were mm -hmm. still playing a little bar. And it, to our perspective, it was, I don't know if I would say fast or slow, but once that we got that buzz clip on, on down, that's when all of a sudden it was a sea of kids. And that's when a lot of our, quote unquote, OG fans were like, oh, now there's all these kids at your shows. And we're like, well, that's exactly who we want. Thank you very much. We're not freaking elitists that are only trying to have like, you know, the in the know older people like we're here to touch humans. And so we're happy to have all these new people there. Of course, I know people always seem to feel they have some ownership in the band if they're in early. So you guys were in your 20s when this is happening. Were you able to soak it up? Did you become rock and roll party animals? How did you handle this period? Uh, yeah, I guess we sort of did. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we handled it, but uh, we've got, you know, we survived it. So that's good. Um, <laughs> I think everybody uh, left off after that. But yeah, I mean, you, no one really had any family, didn't, weren't married yet or anything like that. So I think it was... Um, you know, to be able to travel around, we had an RV and then, you know, the blue album, we switched over to a bus and then you don't have to drive or worry about any, anybody in the crew driving. And so, it, you know, we got to enjoy ourselves and, and, you know, just being that age and playing music and the freedom of traveling like that. So we, we, you know, I think everybody really enjoyed it. And I mean, we still do. It's, it's changed a little bit over time. Did it feel like you were in the midst of a, a dream coming true? I mean, just growing up as a musician, it's something you dream of your whole life. Absolutely. There was so much smiling and celebration. Like, you know, our bodies could take so much in our, in our mid twenties that we need more recovery time. Like our day on the road around, that whole mid nineties era would be like, wake up, smoke weed, find some food. And then we brought weights on the road with us. We'd all work out really hard and then we'd find some dinner or we'd sound check and find some dinner. And then we'd start partying for the show, do the show and then party after the show for like four hours until we finally pass out in our bunks at like four. Yeah. So who can do that anymore? It's not, it's not for a, someone in the fifties. That's for sure. Yeah. Hey, fun fact, uh, I was traveling around Europe when I was 18 or 19, and you guys happened to be playing at the hostel in Amsterdam that I was staying at that night. It was like written on a whiteboard at check-in, tonight's entertainment, 311. Did that ring a bell or did I imagine that? Yeah. Was it not Milkveg, but something else like that in Amsterdam? It was It was off the beaten path of Amsterdam. We, My buddy and I were traveling. We couldn't find a hostel within the city. And there was this, it was sort of, we took a train to the outskirts. Yeah, and... you know, I remember that because I, <laughs> that was our first time to Amsterdam, I think, because uh, Trevor, our, our guitar tech, the original Brodel, he, I remember it was a big thing about milk, like how they, they had at the coffee shop there. M-E-L-K, milk, and some of the words were a little bit different. I think that was that that gig. That's funny. Yeah, because it was 95. Like, we knew who you were being from California, but it was so, so funny. Whoa, 311, you know, like written on a whiteboard. So random. So cool. Just coincidence. I mean, I have to confess, I didn't actually see you guys play. It's a real quick story. Why not? So I, I'm not really one to uh, smoke the reefer, but I was with a buddy, and 
you know, so we're in Amsterdam in a cafe and he was smoking and, you know, when in Rome, I thought that's the culturally appropriate thing to do. But I was like, I don't really even know how to smoke stuff, I, but I can eat cake. So I just, uh, oh, sure, I'll have a piece of space cake. Big mistake. <laughs> yeah. And, and so by the time it just kept ramping up, by the time you guys came on later, I almost had a second piece because I thought it wasn't working, but thankfully I didn't. Uh-huh. Uh, I was basically, uh, my head was resting on the, the outside wall of, of the building you were playing and envisioning my feet as cinder blocks and unable to walk the 25 feet to see you guys. And it's a regret. You got to you gotta start low and go slow on edibles. I always tell people because so many people overshoot the mark and then they're afraid to ever do them again. You right. Know? The creeper, you, you double dose before you feel it coming in there. <laughs> One more thing about Amsterdam. When, when, later, when we played the Cannabis Cup, we were like, that's going to be the wildest crowd. Everyone was so stoned that they were just standing there. And we were like, could it not be stoned? And SA doesn't usually partake. And he was like, I was so stoned by the end of the show because everyone was smoking right in front of us. But they were into it, but they were not moving. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. SA, yeah. He was secondhand high, like super secondhand high. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have believed it if I saw it with my own eyes, how high that got from everyone else smoking. Oh, so he's not one to partake in uh, those activities? No. No. Yeah. I mean, he, he, we've gotten so much free weed now. He's like, you know, now and then I'll just light up a joint just as the sun's setting just for something to do. But I don't think he really inhales. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so speaking of this era, before we move on, do you ever think why this didn't happen during, say, grassroots your previous album like was it more about the songs on the blue album or timing like the world needed a little more time to get in the mood for 311 i think that we wanted to just stick to our thing and wait for popular culture to come around because that's what like u2 had done started in the alternative that's what rem had done nirvana we, even though we didn't sound like those bands we were taking that approach of like let's just do our thing and wait for people to figure it out. Let's not go to them. Let's let them come to us. However long it takes. Do you think it was more timing? Yeah. I mean, it, it was just like, there only had been a, a couple rap rock songs before us. Like uh, faith. No more had that song epic and, you know, chili peppers had some singles, but yeah. Rage was rage like 91. That first album. Uh, they came out the same time as us on our first album. I mean, I think, okay. I thought maybe they beat us by a month, a couple months, but I remember it was concurrently like, happening. Though. Yeah. 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 Um, and that wasn't on the radio except in like LA. Um, so yeah, it was just this kind of almost controversy. Like what is this like rapping and rocking and the same song, like what's going on. And we're like, yep, that's what we do. Kids like it. You, you get into that kind of generation gap where you hear older people like, criticize like well that's not music like they made in my day but you just keep doing what you do yeah you, i think you guys are really early on the the realization that you can be heavy and catchy at the same time too maybe not a realization i'm sure it was just natural for you guys but yeah clearly there was there was a uh, room for that because we loved both bad brains and the beatles you know what i mean we want to put everything we love in our music yeah. Well, it's interesting how you guys fit into the landscape at the time. I'm still thinking like, you know, this 90s time, because you're on the heels of the grunge movement where you have a lot of underground scenes, like you just referenced, being elevated. 
you have in the metal realm, Deftones and Corn. You have the '90s punk ska scene that you guys kind of inhabited, but but you're also pretty different. Where, where did you guys feel most at home in that landscape? Well, we we've been fortunate because we can kind of like we even did some horde tour shows probably around that time. So we would go do warp tour and then go do a week of the horde tour. And then what I, was the horde tour. I, I remember the name Horde tour was like blues traveler. And oh. I don't know if Ziggy Marley, I think Lenny Kravitz was on there more on the jam. Okay. Rusted roots. That kind of yeah, 90 root was on there. Uh, and then I don't know if it's the same year, but you know, around that time we went open for kiss at Madison square garden. So it was, and even now, you know, we'll go do, we play with Deftones at their, one of the, you know, up in uh, Northern California, one of those kind of metal fests a few years back. And then we'll do the, the reggae festivals and stuff. So that's, that's awesome. What a, that's such a nice perk. I would think just to be able to travel in these different circles. Yeah. And that same year with uh, hippies and punks and kiss, we also did the Cypress Hill uh, far side tour. So also accepted in the rap scene. I think we're like the only band that could have done all four of those. No, I saw you guys at uh, UCSB with Farside and, and um, yeah, Cypress Hill. I got to tell a story about that show. So at S- Santa Barbara, Sendog had only made the first couple of shows on the Cypress tour and then things got weird in the band and he just quit. So they had like a roadie doing Sendog's part. But then at Santa Barbara, all of a sudden I'm walking off stage and, or no, I'm, I'm, I'm walking back to the dressing room and I see this whole massive crowd of huge, scary looking gangsters walking down the hall with so much like purpose that I like flattened my back to the wall to like, let them pass. I was like, yeah. and just the energy in the room was insane. And it was Sindog and his posse coming to reclaim the stage, uh, <laughs> his place on the stage. And they went into um, one of their faster songs, ain't going out like that or something like that, and blew the roof off the place because be real. And no one else knew that he was about to do this. So it was like this crazy reunion. No way. Yeah. I didn't know what I got to see. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Did you guys think you at that time, did you have more crossover fans with maybe like more of the Warped Tour scene? Or do you think it was kind of even evenly split around these different places yeah i think that was our home scene was like the whole like no doubt socal yeah because you have the reggae crossover bit yeah do you know what i remember though so clearly from that era is going to punk shows and it's like 90 percent dudes and then your shows were like 50 50 girls guys yeah we love that yeah you know i think these guys nick and and essay do a good balance of singing you know melodies girls might like and um even some of the groove oriented stuff and the reggae it seems more like the girls might like that you know and and so it's kind of been like that i think our whole career it seems like we've been able to be in touch with the girls as much as the the guys so good yeah yeah there's so much there well maybe we could back up even more did you guys all go to high school together all five of you no, three went to one high school, two went to the other. Okay, around the same time? Well, we all graduated or should have graduated in 1988. I graduated a little bit early so I could get out to LA. And then Peanuts, the baby of the bunch, he went to 
school in South O with SA, but they were four years apart. So they didn't really go to school together, but he is the one that introduced Peanut and Chad. But, but me and Tim and Chad were all pals at school. And then right after graduation, I came back for the summer and we made a band called Unity where I was playing bass. And that's kind of where the 311 sound was born with combining funk and punk. And we were into Prince and Jane's Addiction and Chili Peppers and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, kind of floundered around with a few different locations and lineups and then settled into what we have here in 90, 91, something like that. So Unity was just three of you or was it eventually all of you and then you changed the name? We had a keyboardist, um, right? Yeah, Tim was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was you two guys, and then was and Chad was playing drums already. Yeah, and was Peanut in there too? No. Okay. Peanut was literally like twelve at that time because we were still. He would have been fourteen, I guess. So yeah, no, we didn't meet him until a couple years later. Okay, then he comes on, and then his essay last, or does he come on with Peanut? Essay was like I would introduce him. Now I'm going to bring to the stage someone to drop some rhymes here ah. and he would come on as a guest to do like feel so good and fuck the bullshit. And then he was like, I want to move out to LA with you guys. And I was like, all right, let's do it. You know, he was definitely adding to the band and could do the harmonies I want to do, which actually Tim and Chad can sing harmonies. They just don't want to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's easier not to, right? Well, Focus. It's hard to sing and play, you know, sure. I did when uh, we had our first band, Nick and I, uh, the Eds, I did start out singing Boys Don't Cry by The Cure uh, for maybe one or two rehearsals. And then I it moved on to, I guess, to Nick probably sang it or who else would even sing it? Ward or somebody maybe. But I just remember that down in your basement. So funny. I didn't know you ever sang that. I wish we had a recording. I would say I'm sorry. <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, uh, that's great. Well, yeah, because I remember hearing you guys talk about how you were into the Smiths and, and the Cure, you know, bands that don't necessarily lead one to 311 sound, you know. But yeah, you said there was kind of a transition where you guys are more turning towards Chili Peppers and Jane's Addiction. And I'm, I'm just always so curious how that comes together, because you have the heavy, groovy riffs, you have the melody, you have the harmony, you have the rapping. I don't know. My question is, here's a question. Yeah, go ahead. I have a comment to make about your comment. Okay. Yeah. We always wanted to be super audacious and blend such disparate styles. If you take a song like hydroponic, heavy, slow grinding riffs and raps, and then you get to the chorus and it's all, it is like a Morrissey jumping out my skin. You know, it is mm. like Morrissey influenced chorus, even though the rest of the song sounds like, fucking black sabbath with you know deftones or i don't know what but it's uh oh that's so funny i'm gonna think of that part differently now hearing yeah. a, like a, a morrissey influence that's interesting yeah do you ever think about i'm sure you do the fortuitousness of having all the right characters around at a particular time and place to create just the right chemistry i'm just speaking of of how unique your sound is and you're all individually so talented but you're also super lucky that you're all in the same place yeah no no i would i would agree yeah just personalities that we we still get along after all these years and um you know one person would have been different we might not be here 30 years in still and um 
it, it is for me, you know, I enjoy everybody's songwriting and, and what they're up to. And it's been evolving over the years, you know, so it's still, everyone's still growing and, and trying to write better riffs and melodies and whatnot. And, um, but there is something to be said about that, the magic of actually knowing each other back in Nebraska or, or wherever a band would be from, but just the fact that to be able to get together and decide to make a band and then just to move forward with it. And, you know, there, that, uh, something special there and, you know, I'm thankful for it. I, you know, probably a lot of these bands that we all listen to are kind of in the same boat, but a lot of times they burn out and, and don't last as long as you would like them to. But, um, We've been fortunate. What are your thoughts on being an aspiring local band in a place like Omaha versus LA? Well, we wanted to make a big splash. So we would make our shows as crazy as possible. So the word got around until like we did these all ages Mondays shows um, where they would be packed at the Ranch Bowl. This is in Omaha? Yeah. The Ranch Bowl was a unique place that was a bowling alley music club, uh, pool hall, uh, volleyball courts, and a radio station, all in one thing. So we were actually really lucky to have a good relationship with Matt Markle, the owner. But it, it, he passed away and got paved over to make a Walmart there. So it was a very <laughs> 90s specific um, image. But, you know, we just wanted to make sure our shows were super wild and crazy so we could really create a kind of a stampede and we would um, hit the ground really running. We often <laughs> would take a shot of beer a minute for like a half hour before the show. And we would just go out there and just destroy and good for stage presence, right? Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> wild swagger, not good for tightness, but right, we right. something to watch. <laughs> and, and so do you think that was a benefit being in Omaha versus LA? Do you think just in, in those formative years or do you think it, it matters? I think the there's more of a jadedness um, in LA that we did run into a little later when we moved out here, but we want to move over and I think we would have done okay coming from somewhere else, but everyone thinks you need to move to LA or New York to make it. And actually we got signed from the demo record called Unity that we made in Omaha. And then we had the record company, we flew back to Omaha so we could do a show in front of our home crowd and then them see you know the crowd go ape ape shit so it really was just an omaha based thing we didn't need to move out to la in order to make it so that was kind of yeah. surprising yeah you know in our, our last podcast i talked to um death from above 1979 and they're from toronto but the bass player he was talking about how fortunate they were that they could actually afford to live in these metropolitan areas at that time and nowadays you know, he kind of feels for aspiring talent, just not even being able to afford a place to practice it. It's got to, it's going to be coming from maybe these other cities that aren't so expensive to live in. Yeah. Especially when there's not labels signing people like they used to. So you basically have to just make your own cottage industry where you build it up on YouTube and stuff. So it's a totally different approach that I guess we would embrace if we were starting out now, but it was all different when it was just handing cassettes to people. Yeah. Speaking of, I handed cassettes to uh, Tim one show when I was like 18. Wow. <laughs> I probably still have it. 
<laughs> was it your demo? It was our de- yeah home home recordings. Yeah, it was in Santa nice. Barbara. I got back there. Like yeah, Timoni has our demo. <laughs> Sometimes we would just like so here's your demo. All right, you're signed, and we would just say that as a joke. Like yeah, you're signed. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah. What am I going to do with this? Yeah. Um, but it was worth a try. So let's see. You guys moved to L.A. because you have a label in hand when you guys go, right? No, we were empty-handed for the first few months in L.A. and money was super tight, like that other band was saying. We were all five living in a little house in Van Nuys, but we were stoked because it had a little pool. But um, we were kind of begging money from our parents and they were sending us like boxes of food. So it got lean, but then Capricorn Records came through. And we didn't have any other offers. We didn't know much about Capricorn, but they were um, affiliated with Warner Brothers for only that first album. Warner Brothers dropped them after our first album, but we were like, this sounds good. And there was enough of an advance for us to, you know, buy a guitar amp and a guitar and, you know, be able to pay our rent and make it through. But it was just hanging on by our fingernails for a bit. Yeah. Hey, how do you figure out where to live in LA? It's a big sprawling place. You're in Nebraska. How do you just find a place? I have a story about that. Okay. <laughs> when I was 17, I was like, I'm moving out to LA and I think I know where the, all the action has got to be. Downtown. And in 1988, downtown was just cracked. Him. There was nothing there at all. It was very, very run down. So I realized quickly that I made a mistake. And then I moved to being right by the rock and roll uh, Ralph's and the Denny's and the guitar center, Hollywood. Um, And that was like the place to be because there was just musicians everywhere. So I already kind of knew LA and realized that we're, you know, probably going to, the Valley would be the best thing where we Mm. could afford a house with a pool. So, so wait, were you pursuing a a solo project that early on in LA? I think I always wanted to be in a band and then we had unity and, um, the same band name, but Tim was off at college and then Chad came out and joined me and we did some gigs at, you know, the coconut teaser and maybe we made it to the whiskey, but a lot of it, you had to buy the tickets in advance. So it turned out to be pay to play a lot, which was just seriously bullshit. But yeah, so there's different lineups that didn't really work out. And then I realized, well, Tim and the guys from Omaha were definitely like the best thing i'd done so far so let's go to omaha and start over and then we did that for two years then we all came out to van nuys in 92 i have a songwriting question i've wanted to ask you guys i feel like you're bolder than the average band as far as putting parts together that are like different from each other like parts you wouldn't (laughs) think go together but absolutely work (laughs) do you have any thoughts on that absolutely that's what the (laughs) example of hydroponic was like yeah you 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 never hear i've actually heard like metallica redone and it's hilarious all in the major key because it just sounds so weird to hear metallica like they manipulated the audio to put it in major key but that's kind of what we are we're heavy some of our music is very heavy but we like uplifting melodies and more major key kind of stuff so it's all about being audacious and just following your own, not doubting your vibe. Yeah, you know, we have like a TMP combo where there are a couple riffs 
here and a couple riffs there. We're like, wow, man, just let's put them at the same tempo here and just put them this one and that one. And then, yeah, you know, it seemed like it worked, but we <laughs> somehow it did. Yeah. So it does, but sometimes it's not even the same tempo. I was just listening to Grassroots. Uh, it made me think of this. Uh, I think it's the end of 816, right? You have the, the ending that's just kind of out of nowhere, but it's totally catchy and works. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I think I wanted to end the song a little bit like uh, Firehose's uh, Brave Captain, which was a band we were really into in the in the late 80s. They were one of the funk, funk punk pioneers. And um, I was just ready for a hard left turn in that song. So I tacked on a tempo change and distortion guitars and totally different from the the light funk that the rest of the song is yeah it's and it's so cool i mean it feels like like for me so much of the impact of a part is the change like how it plays off the part that came before it and how you feel when that change comes about so yeah the song unity has three different tempos for the verse pre-chorus and chorus like did it and then Bam, bam, ba-da-da, don't like oh, yeah, it's yeah. a different feel. And then do 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 whoa God, I can't believe it's every every section is a different tempo. And like whether it's the middle section is is really hard, shuffling, swinging really hard, and the other two are straight. So that was as sort of uh disjointed as possible, but it's still to this day. We love playing it. Somehow you guys know how to glue it together well because it doesn't sound disjointed and it, I, I bet that even pays more dividends live those big changes i think come off well live yeah you're not going to get bored <laughs> yeah so uh present day uh, you guys have been creatively staying active during the pandemic with merch live streams so as we finally emerge from this strange period any thoughts or reflections on your experiences and uh, any ways you think the music biz might be changed more permanently as we move forward? Well, we were forced to open our eyes to the um, that streaming could be cool. I mean, right when the pandemic was first starting, I was like, I just don't know if it'll be the same without a, the crowd. And it's not quite as good, but it's still definitely been worth doing. And we we got over that there isn't a crowd there type aspect because we knew the crowd was watching. So we gave a full energy like we would at a show. So doing these live stream of now we've done our first, what five albums and next is going to be our, our six and kind of last of the series. So it, that's been a really cool way to so stay cool. busy. Yeah. It's been nice to stay in touch with the fans who, you know, just to let them know we're still around and, and playing music, but, um, but yeah, I would just echo what Nick said about it starting off. You just don't know what to expect because there's no crowd. And I think each one that goes by, we get a little bit more fine tune at it, but it, it's been fun and kind of like what you said about the music taking you back in your, in your memories and things like that and how you felt back in those days. It's been interesting to go through each album like that because there is that that memory and those sort of feelings that some things I think about that I hadn't thought about since those eras of from music to grassroots, the blue album, all these things. And so it's been really interesting and fun just from a personal perspective there. It, it's been enjoyable to get through them like that and play all those songs. And yeah, it's been fun. And to see the, the, the shift that we took like from blue album, which was just, jam-packed with like you know up-tempo great live distortion and then to go to transistor which was so experimental 
and you know, it wasn't just punch, punch, punch. We tried a different other vibes and and then now we're doing From Chaos next. And that really has some unique stuff, especially towards the end of the album with Amber, I'll Be Here While and Uncalm being the last three songs, not in that order. But um, it's, it is cool to see like, wow, it took some kind of courage to create new new stuff so that's awesome yeah you, you like tim said you, you're bringing yourself back and like you're saying you're sort of reassessing uh what you did but because there's probably so many songs on there that don't make the normal hour and a half set list right so you yeah. probably haven't played them since you recorded them i would imagine a lot of them yeah the one song that opens this next album we just kind of <laughs> we turned against it so we we have not played that one since maybe apparently we played it like a couple times right after the album came out but from Ka chaos is that what you're talking about the first song yeah the song okay. you get worked we just never play live okay but we will <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you guys are looking forward to hitting the road again we are so stoked to be able to get back on the road doing a nationwide tour that we have announced and it's at 311.com and just grateful to be able to get back to see our peoples in person. Is there any part of you that's enjoyed this respite from touring or is it is it kind of torturous and you're just ready to get back? You know, when growing up in Omaha, we'd have a snow day where I was like, oh my God, no school, nothing to do but just play. And that's what I tried to embrace at home with the kids. Um, especially during the summer when we didn't have to have the distance learning and it was just like, all right, let's, let's invent stuff to make it fun. I did that series um, called the do stay home sessions on my Instagram where I sang a song with each of my kids and then a song with all of us together. And I covered some different songs and that was, that was a really fun thing that I wouldn't have done other ways. And then just little things like, teaching my youngest how to ride a bike and tire shoes and just and read you know those are really pivotal moments that i got to be there for that's so great yeah we we typically are always gone every summer i think we had one summer off maybe in the late 90s or something we figured out on one of these past lives uh yeah live streams we must have been talking about it but i don't know if this century we've taken a summer off yeah you know at first it's awkward kind of but but i yeah i would agree i think just being able to be with your family and knowing, okay, well, we, we can't go out and play and being able to take advantage of being at home and growing with your family and still doing music, but that's so great. Yeah. It was, it was fun. You know, Do you both have kids. Yeah. Everybody except Chad has uh, two or more kids. Family's growing. Yeah, man. Yeah. We have a, a little, you know, probably everybody in the band's the same way, but you know, you're, you're gone for a couple months out of a little child's life and they, they change so much. So, you know, just to be able to be there every day for a whole straight year is pretty special deal. Yeah, that's great. I can imagine that would be probably the toughest part. Do you guys get the itch to get on the road though? After, I mean, COVID was kind of long. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even just, we got to do two drive-in shows, which was just really nice to oh, just, cool rock out even though they were it wasn't the same because they were in their next to their cars and far away but just still to do what we love so now you know they're talking about you know full capacity uh, i'm sure there will be some you know safety guidelines but um this looks like it's going to be a great summer yeah yeah i just watched your um 
I forget what it's called. Docu- it's like over the 30 year span of your, your career, which is crazy. 30 years. So many highlights. Is there a low point for the band that comes to mind? Not to be a downer. <laughs> um, well, I think we needed to take a break in 98 for what Tim mentioned that we did take a summer off, put some roots down and get a little space. And then we got going again. I mean, yeah, there's ebbs and flows in relationships where sometimes we're more synced up than others, but we just keep a attitude of gratitude knowing that we're very lucky to get to do this and things turn out okay. So was that, that was just overload in 98? Burnt out. Yeah, I, I can imagine. All righty. I have some uh, shorter varying topic questions. Uh, who are your biggest guitar influences? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I got to make sure I give some props to Steve Lukather because, you know, during the pandemic, I've been watching a lot of YouTube and being able to, you know, it's great for guitar watching and listening to all eras of music. And um, he's one of the guys I, I really enjoy. You know, just being able to listen to him, to him talk in interviews, but also play the guitar. He's a great guitar player. It's fun to listen to. But yeah, have you read his book? No, you know what? Oh, okay, I, I got to. I'll buy it today. Yeah, it's good. The Gospel of Luke. I mean, he's just got so much history going through the, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties studio scene in L.A. It's crazy. Yeah, it was interesting hearing him talk about working. I guess was it um, with uh, Quincy Jones? Maybe they're doing a, a Michael Jackson record. Uh, beat it maybe that he was talking about the one um eddie van ham played the guitar solo and then mm-hmm. it's fun to listen to him talk about that stuff but you know i like uh i'm a huge jerry garcia fan but i love dr no from bad brains um so many different wide spectrum of people i think everybody in our band loves john Schofield. he's he's one of those guys that i know nick likes but also our drummer our bass player love him too, and um, John McLaughlin. You know a lot of these great kind of fusion jazz players, and um, but yeah, the whole spectrum. You know, I, I love Willie Nelson, what he does when he starts soloing, and but but yeah, wide spectrum. And you know, as time goes on, I know there's a lot of new guys that come up too, and I'm more out of touch kind of with them. But yeah, that's great. Schofield, I just checked his wiki, has made 50 albums. So if I had to be on a desert album with one artist's catalog, it would be Schofield because it's just so much great stuff there. And then, you know, his later, more recent things like Uber Jam and Uber Jam De, the second one, uh, and like the Medeski Martin and Wood session, there's like five incredible funk albums in his later work that just are amazing. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, he's great. Okay, any music you're listening to right now that stands out? There's this uh, somewhat Tom Petty-ish guy named Rayland Baxter, who is just a really good songwriter. Um, I like Billie Eilish a lot. Uh, Got into her through my kids. Um, And um, there's a punk band, Turnstile, that was my obsession towards the beginning of quarantine. And I covered one of their songs in my do stay home sessions. So there's a few. Billie Eilish. I'm totally in the same boat with my kids, you know, coming across her that way. 
This actually also came up on our last podcast episode, but did you see the documentary that came out recently? Incredible. So good. And it totally reminds me kind of what I was asking you guys about, like how fortuitous it was that you're all in the same place, how lucky they are to be brother and sister, because they both have so much talent and contribute in different ways. Being able to yeah. grow up in the same house, it was totally, I don't know if it could have happened any other way, but there, it's just that chemistry was so fortunate. Yeah. And it also is, makes a case for homeschooling because these kids had so much musical intelligence because their parents, you know, that was a big part of what they did from day to day in their homeschooling was learning music. And Billy did that um, Ocean Eyes song when she was 14. Her brother uh, just made a, a track for her to do at her dance recital. And then she re she made some vocals for it. And then that became the you know 150 million spins on youtube they just put it on soundcloud and then so it's a cool sort of modern story that couldn't have happened any other way just so grassroots this 14 year old kid could do that definitely all right uh any strange fan encounters so many <laughs> that you'd want to mention <laughs> um we'd get people on acid um towards the be in the beginning that would just be like drunken on acid and not making any sense but obviously so excited to meet us and talk about the lyrics and this one guy we were like playing in like aspen or something he was like hey look i got my doc martens on i'm ready to do some kicking because that was a lyric in, <laughs> yeah. in essays uh, one of essays rap and just a lot of different intoxicated people that would just say crazy stuff and then it becomes inside jokes for us to yeah. just repeat. <laughs> well, it, seem, it seems like you guys handle it well from the, the videos I've seen. Yeah, we're, we're definitely grateful for to be able to do this for so long and super stoked on our fans. Anything for you, Tim, that pops out? I don't know why I'm thinking of chicken and light beer. You know, like we have, we once got paid in chicken and light beer and I don't know if it's the same, same, <laughs> same gig or not where the guy, did the guy throw chicken at our bus? No, it was a baked potato. It's a baked potato. I don't know if he's like Ooh. disgruntled or what, what happened. He just smacked the side of our blue uh, filthy fill bus with a baked potato because <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'd like taken over the place and everything. That's a little more aggressive than chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Could have broke a window. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was glad he baked the potato because if it would have been raw, it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely crossed the line there. Uh Hey, what's the key to recording a big distortion guitar sound without losing clarity? Any pointers you got there? Say Tim is very methodical about it with multiple amps and stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, we would typically use different amps and do a lot of double tracking, you know. So we just try and get two amp, you know, get one amp that sounds good and get another one that's got a nice contrast to it that that sounds good. And then you try and double track them or record them both at the same time and then also do a double track kind of changed over the years, I guess, with when you have the computer and some access to that, but it, it's still a, I don't want to say a struggle, but it's, you know, every time we go in to do it, it's, you know, something we have to think a lot about and take our time and figure it out, <laughs> out yeah. each time we kind of changes each time, I guess, but, you know, typically it's trying to get a couple different good sounding amps to do each part. But it's fun, you know, and we'll probably do to get back out of here pretty soon. But yeah, no, um, I ask, I ask because I, I feel like you guys pull it off so well. So 
Well, we have two guys playing guitar, which helps. You know, you get two two different humans interpreting the the parts or the yeah. same riff. Gets a little bit thicker and mm-hmm. wider, and, and that definitely helps. And uh, but yeah, but we always always looking to improve every time we go in there to do it. Speaking of two guitar players, Nick, was there ever a time when you always had a guitar on, and then was there a time when it, it got removed and says you're a straight front man without a guitar? Uh, no, not since well, since when I was the bassist in Unity, the previous band to Three Eleven, and then I was like, I want to just run around like a crazy man and not play the bass anymore. And then, so Peanut was a perfect fit. And then I did. I actually on a, one of our first tours, I brought a Rhodes electric piano to play on a couple songs, and then that burned up in a fire. Um, and then I didn't start bringing out a guitar rig until like, I didn't have it on gra- Oh no, I did. I, cause I, yeah, I started playing guitar again and then now it's more likely that we'll both play guitar just cause I'm less interested in running around like a crazy man and more okay. interested in making cool sounds. So I guess I've been gradually playing more guitar. Okay. Uh, if you had a time machine, is there any advice you'd have for your 20 something year old selves? Uh, less sweets maybe um yeah get healthier earlier yeah maybe i i'd have to i could probably spend most of the day making a list to talk to myself (laughs) you know yeah i probably would have told myself maybe to practice a little more Hmm. i don't know i you know it's it it all worked out so yeah happened the way yeah i guess I, i just am what i am but you know, since this is about guitar, my memory of Tim's journey was that when we moved to Van Nuys after the first two years in, in Omaha, the rest of us would be out playing basketball and swimming, and Tim would be in his room jamming along to like the Grateful Dead. And that's when he really, you know, took a huge step forward at that time. So he was practicing a lot. <laughs> okay, that's great. But uh, what would I tell my former self? I don't know. Don't buy stocks on margin. Um, <laughs> did you did you have a period of uh, buying on margin? Oh yeah, you know really? the, the dot com era. Oh yes, when everyone was a genius because everything kept going up and up. <laughs> exactly. Well, we probably should have. We could have told ourselves to buy gold instead of, uh, you know, the. Um, uh, what was the name of it? Our, our buddy that grew weed. But I remember there was a time where we were paying more for like an ounce of Kush, bud. then it was more than gold. So, I mean, gold, I guess gold was that cheap or weed was that expensive, whatever. But, um, you know, had we been alternating buying an ounce of weed, okay. then buy an ounce of gold for the same price, you know, yeah. now it all went up through the roof. So maybe I should have spent some money on gold instead of all that weed, but. Well, we probably also just bought Amazon actually in the dot-com era. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, before I let you go, I got to ask, what gauge strings do you guys play? I like them a little heavier, uh, 11s. Okay. I use 10s, but I've been, for at least the last year, I think it was before even the COVID, I've been flirting with the idea of getting one of my guitars, putting some nines on it, because, you know, just to just to see how it goes. But I'll, I'll get to a nine eventually. But yeah, 10s, I pretty much for 30 years been on tens what's well, funny we've actually seen a trend people moving to to lighter gauge strings towards nines you know everything got heavier and like recently say the past year or so we've seen a shift back towards super slinkies 
kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah. Not better get on it then because, <laughs> uh, I can just feel some of these lower strings. I'm like, I got, I need just a little less there. Just a little, you know? Yeah. Regular slinkies, the tens are still the top dog, but nines are up there. And do you guys play the normal, uh, slinkies or paradigms or some other? Slinkies? Yeah. Just standard. It's, uh, I don't know if just old and in the way or what, but I, I, I just, um, it's comfortable. They're the standard for a reason. Well, I just want to thank you guys for, for really being model Ernie ball artists, all, all your appearances at our NAM booth and doing interviews like this and, and using our stuff for literally decades. So thank you guys so much. Yeah. It's nice to have a long relationship like that and you guys are always uh, very helpful to us too so thank you as well yeah we've been fortunate to hook up with you guys when we were young and and you know can't imagine it any other way all right well i can't wait to see you guys back on the road tim and nick thanks for being on the podcast right on brother evan good to talk to you it was a lot of fun take care Thanks for tuning in to Striking a Chord and Ernie Ball Podcast. Big thanks to Tim and Nick. I really enjoyed that one, as you all could probably tell. Don't forget to check out their tour schedule that they recently posted at 311.com. If you'd like to contact us, please email strikingacord at ernieball.com. I could I could step up the mic and I mean if this sounds kind of roomy I could put on like a a really good mic or should we just leave it like this since Tim's on a room mic too I think it's fine you know in the era of COVID we've had all kinds of audio connections and this sounds pretty good well the thing that bums me out is when they're in a totally bangy room with hard floors and hard walls and it's just you can't hear what they're saying but so we don't have that problem no 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 we're good I still haven't fixed my smoke detector. It's been about a year now, but that thing will chirp in the background. So I apologize. Oh, okay. There's more than one. No problem. <laughs> it's just adding character. I was wondering. If that was-